0: Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. There's an author by the name of Mike Cosper, and he tells the story about how he uh, attended Uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. And if you're not familiar with it, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is this place that is recognized by many to be the place both of Jesus's crucifixion and also of the empty tomb. And so he's sitting back and kind of watching people as they approach these kind of supposed holy sites that are there. And so he says that the first woman comes and she falls down weeping at the place of Jesus's death. The second individual comes with these little plastic crosses and they rub the crosses in this relic or dirt or whatever happened to be there. Finally, a third person comes up with their cell phone and starts taking selfies of themselves. It's a reminder to us that all of us have responses to the claims of Christ. All of us are living in response to this truth of the empty tomb. Some of us believe Jesus to be exactly what He said He was, the Son of God sent for our deliverance from sins. And we believe that God sent Jesus for sacrificial death and powerful resurrection so that we too might be raised to new life. And some of us here, though, have, have so many questions. We, we remain somewhat removed from genuine faith because we just, there's too many uh, you know, sticking points for us. And still some of us are just angry about it. We're filled with animosity about this story of Jesus's resurrection, but all of us have to give an account for what is told to us here in John chapter 20. Every person who's ever walked the face of the earth will someday stand before a righteous and holy God and give an account for what they think happened here in this passage. And so we said it last week, we'll say it again this week. These two chapters, John 19 and 20, and the other accounts in the other gospels are the pinnacle of God's revelation, not just in the book of John, not just in the gospels, but the pinnacle of God's revelation of himself throughout the scriptures, It's here that we find the the resolution to the story which started in Genesis chapter 3 where men and women have sinned against God. It's here we see the forgiveness and grace of God and Jesus Christ. So we gather here together today to unpack this passage with so much hope and promise bound up in it. And here's what I suspect I think we'll find in John chapter 20. Our belief in Jesus' resurrection gives us true life. Our belief in Jesus' resurrection is the means by which God gives us life, life to spiritually dead men and women. That's what Paul said about us. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, and now God has given us new life in Jesus. We're going to see this through three different testimonies of three different followers of Jesus. And scene number one, we're going to see this John sees and believes in verses 1 through 10. Scene number two, we're going to see that Mary sees Jesus and she responds with acts of faith. And then scene number three, that Thomas sees and believes in verses 19 through 29. And not to escape it ourselves, John's going to call us to believe in verses 29 through 31. Let's look here in verses 1 through 10 of John chapter 20. Ryan just read this for us. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went out to the tomb, went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, where, had been, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying there with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to their homes. What's happening here? Mary gets up early in the morning. She's going to go and tend to the gravesite of of Jesus, her, her Savior and it's still dark, and she goes and she finds that this stone is rolled away, and immediately she recognizes she needs to go and tell the other disciples, so she runs back, and she finds Peter and John. Now, notice the details that are reported here to to us in verse 2. They have taken the Lord. This is what Mary says. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. She's taking a, a little bit of creative license here, isn't she? She's just assuming that someone has taken Jesus out of this tomb, someone has rolled the stone away, someone has stripped him of his burial cloth, we'll find that out later, but still, she is kind of doing the math and saying someone's taken Jesus out of his place, and so what happens is Peter and John starts running to the tomb, and, and John kind of slows down this narrative, and I love what John does here because he, he wants everyone in the world to know that he's faster than Peter, right? He's He's laying it out like, Peter, the slow guy, right? He gets there last. But John slows this narrative down for us. And verse 3 and 4 describe this foot race that happens. And and John kind of stoops and looks into the entrance and sees these grave clothes lying there. And when Peter catches up, he kind of just runs into the tomb, and he finds the face cloth that's there. It's folded up away from the other clothes, clothes. It's neatly folded. It's not just kind of strewn about. You might not realize it, but here there's an apologetic at work that John is kind of actually proving that Jesus was raised to life, right? There's these questions that are brought up in the text that in our minds of, if someone's going to steal Jesus's body, why are they taking the linen cloths off? Why are they neatly folding the face cloth and laying it aside? And who rolled the stone away? But John has another purpose here. It's not just that we would have an apologetic here. He wants to show us how he came to faith in Jesus. And so in verses 8 through 10, we see the testimony of John. John finally enters the tomb in verse 8. And notice the two words that John uses to describe his experience. He saw and believed. John sees, he sees the the cloth. he sees the tomb rolled away, he sees uh, the linen face cloth there, and it's the culmination of these facts upon his senses that brings John to this place of belief. It's interesting to know that, that John had followed Jesus for some three, three and a half years. But only now he's said to believe. It's not that he didn't believe before, but now he sees Jesus differently, not just as a great teacher or a prophet or someone who's capable. He sees him as the Christ, the God who's sent to heaven from heaven to the earth. He's called
1: into this new belief. It's not just that.
0: We get a second scene. Verses 11 through 18, we get this picture of Mary seeing Jesus. Because Mary's left there at the tomb. Peter and John go back to their houses. Mary is left here. Look at verse 11. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Mary has all of this information at her disposal, right? She's seeing the empty tomb that John saw. She's talking with angels. She's actually seeing Jesus, but not recognizing him, which by the way, we have precedent for this, especially after Jesus' resurrection. If we were to look at Luke chapter 23, there's this story of, of Jesus walking along the, the road to Emmaus with these disciples that don't recognize him. And Luke 24 says this, their eyes were kept from recognizing him, See, we see that there are times where we know the facts of the resurrection, but not understand their true meaning. We don't recognize Jesus for who he is. But finally, Mary recognizes Jesus, and he sends her with this message in verses 16 through 18. Notice that Mary only recognizes Jesus when he says her name. It reminds us of John chapter 10, where Jesus is saying he's the good shepherd. He says, my sheep know my voice, and I call them by name. And so Mary's response means more than we might even think, right? He, she turns to him and says, Rabboni, right? Not just rabbi. Dia Carson highlights that this probably means something more than he's just a teacher. In, in Hebrew literature, there was this, uh, this evidence that if someone were using this word, it's always used of God and it's never used of, of, a, of a human priest. And so Mary is actually affirming Jesus's lordship in this statement. So Mary seems to be using this word to designate that Jesus is Lord. Lord. It's with the eyes of faith that lead us to see the difference between a gardener and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what Jesus says to her in verse 17. He says, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to, to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. We read about this in the other gospel accounts where Jesus is is blessing the disciples as he's raising up into heaven. But before he does this, notice he mentions it two times in these verses. He says, don't cling to me. I'm going away soon. All right, don't get used to me being here. I have to ascend to be at the right hand of the Father, that I, I can plead on your behalf before the throne of God. That's what John would write in 1 John chapter 2. If anyone sins, we have an advocate before the Holy One, Jesus Christ the righteous. Notice what he says here. He says, he, he defines their new relationship. He says, send this message to the disciples and highlight these things. First of all, go to my brothers. Just a few chapters ago in John 15, Jesus was talking to his disciples. He says, I no longer call you slaves. Now I call you friends. And now he's no longer calling them friends. He's calling them brothers because now their status with God in heaven has been changed. And he goes on and he describes, I'm going to my God and your God, to my Father and your Father. No longer does Jesus have this unique relationship to the Father. Now he's inviting his disciples to also know them as Father, to know the Father as their God.
1: There's a change of status that's here.
0: John has one more testimony for us here in John chapter 20. We talked about john's conversion john's belief we talked about mary magdalene's belief but in verses 19 through the end of the chapter really we get this invitation to discuss thomas's belief so jesus shows up in the upper room and we'll read this here in verse 19 on the evening of that day the first day of the week the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the jews jesus came and stood among them and said to them peace be with you Disciples are afraid. Last week, we talked about how Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were both afraid, and they come out of their fear to come and bury Jesus. And so these disciples also are afraid. They're afraid of the Jews. And so they locked the doors. And all of a sudden, Jesus just kind of appears in their midst, right? He just appears there in this locked room. And the first words that he says address the fear within their heart, right? Peace be with you. And the next thing he says to these fearful disciples is, I'm sending you. I'm sending you out. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. This is nothing new, right? John 17, uh, Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus told them in John 15 that he was going to send them out to bear witness in the power of the Holy Spirit which, by the way, is exactly what he does here. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit, which will kind of take effect at the day of Pentecost some weeks later. It's funny
1: how God calls us to
0: things that he uniquely equips us to perform. Here in John chapter 20 or in Matthew 28... God is giving us this impetus to go out and make disciples, but not in our own strength with the presence of Jesus, right? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And here he bestows on them the Holy Spirit to empower them to this mission to which he calls them. But notice in this whole account, one disciple isn't there. Thomas is absent. When they took the roll that morning, you know, Thomas was gone. And so in verse 24, we pick up now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin was not with them. And when Jesus came or when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Thomas has his doubts, right? And in verse 25, he enumerates these things. Unless I I see his hands, unless I see his pierced side, I'm not going to believe. And and Thomas states these things that they require sight. He wants to see these things so that he might be brought to belief. And before we get too far down the road and, and hammer on Thomas, we recognize that Thomas's doubt sounds a lot like ours sometimes, doesn't it? So Jesus comes in verses 26 through 29, and he shows himself to Thomas. Circumstances are all the same, right? Verse 26 records almost verbatim what happened back in verse 24 or, or above there. And so the doors are locked. Jesus miraculously appears, and he again gives them words of peace. And he turns his attention to Thomas, and he says, Thomas, come and see my hands. Come and see my side. And he says this, he says, Do not disbelieve, but believe. I love what Thomas says in response My Lord and my God. It's a statement of absolute submission, this recognition of Jesus' his sovereignty. The response pushes us just beyond this level of respect. It's not just the, the Lord that Mary says to the gardener, it's Rabboni. It's recognizing again that he is Lord and, and Savior. That Thomas is speaking these words of recognizing that Jesus is God. In fact, we've seen this throughout all of our st- statements, right? We've, we've seen this from all of our scenes that John recognizes the lordship of Jesus, as rationally he takes in all of the evidence around him. He sees the empty tomb. He sees the grave clothes. He sees the face cloth, and rationally he responds to this and says, Jesus Christ is Lord, and he believes. Mary's belief is relational, and she hears Jesus say her name, and she responds in kind, and so she sees the lordship of Jesus Christ by hearing Jesus call her. Thomas this is a preacher's way of saying it, is not just rational or relational, it's retinal, right? That's stupid and cheesy, I get it, but go with it, okay? She sees it, he sees it, he sees Jesus, he sees the marks in his flesh. And so Thomas has to be shown to believe, but all of these statements of faith are legitimate, even though they've taken different paths to get there. They come through the road of Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ. But some do it rationally, some do it relationally, some have to see. See, it's in this vein that John calls us to believe in verses 30 through 31. Look at this. This is the pinnacle of this book. It's why John is telling us he's written these things. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing... You may have life in his name. John tells us Jesus did lots of things. He performed all kinds of signs. In fact, if you were to kind of sit down with the gospel of John and compare it to Matthew and Mark and Luke, you would find a whole bunch of different stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke than you do in the book of John. But John has recorded these things, these unique stories, the story of Lazarus and his resurrection, the story of a healing of a man born blind. He's recorded these unique testimonies to call us to belief. Think about the story that that John has told. He passes over the familiar ones, the Sermon on the Mount, the story of John the Baptist's death. There's no story of the woman who reaches out for the hem of Jesus' garment or the healing of Jairus's daughter, but he gives us the stories we haven't heard, the, the man born blind, the story of Lazarus. And he's presenting to us this, this kind of argument for the lordship of Jesus Christ, and it culminates to these verses. He's saying, it's not just for John, and it's not just for Thomas, and it's not just for Mary. It's for all of us to believe on the lordship of Jesus. It's for people in the first century and people in the 21st century. It's for people in Africa and people in South America and people in North America, people in Asia, wherever you are and whatever age you might be, you are to believe upon the lordship of Jesus Christ for salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. See, true Christians see and believe in this gospel, what John's doing is laying out evidence and saying, this is the Christ, this is the promised one, and he's not just some prophet, he's not just some guy that was anointed, this is God on earth. This is deity
1: wrapped in flesh.
0: Now notice a few things about our our passage here. Every character that comes to faith has to see who Jesus really is. John sees the grave. Mary hears the voice. Thomas sees
1: the scars. But there are some who won't see and yet believe. And Jesus calls them blessed. Look at verse 29. Excuse me, I said that wrong. Oh, no, I'm
0: right. Sorry. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. None of us here have seen the empty grave and the grave closed. None of us have heard audibly the voice of Jesus. None of us have seen his scars. But we're blessed to believe, aren't we? See, Jesus pronounces the state of blessing to those who who believe without seeing. And really what's happening is we're seeing through the eyes of our characters here this morning. We're seeing through the testimony of John. We're seeing Jesus through the testimony of Mary. We're seeing Jesus through the testimony of Thomas. We're taking their words and believing upon Jesus because of what they've said. See, the truth is this morning is that our belief brings life. And that's what John is telling us in verse 31. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, notice that this chapter starts off with renewed life, with resurrection, and it ends with the promise of resurrection and new life to us. It sounds so Pauline, doesn't it? It's what Robbie read in his testimony in Romans chapter 6. If we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we'll also be united with him in the resurrection, right? In fact, our life is connection with God the Father, as that Jesus has taken away our sting. We've taken away the the sin in, uh, in death. He's reconnected us to the Father, and Jesus had told us that eternal life is knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Look at the message Jesus sends to his disciples with Mary in verse uh, 17. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. There's a renewal of relationship that's described here that is the essence of our life. Our life doesn't come from the good things we do. It's not about our baptism. It's not about our good works. It's not about our our law-keeping. Our life is through Jesus Christ and the restored relationship we have with the Father. Remember back to, to Jesus' story with Lazarus, and he looks at Martha, the sister of Lazarus, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live. And he presses her. He says, Do you believe this? Jesus is pressing this issue that belief is life. The same Jesus who walked away from death, who left the grave clothes behind, is now giving us life through faith. And as the Holy Spirit indwells each believer, we too are given Jesus' resurrection power to live anew in the Spirit. You and I, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, are united with Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans 6, that if you become united with him in the likeness of his death, you'll also be united with him in his resurrection from the dead. And so as we're united to Christ, we have his resurrection power in us in the form of the Holy Spirit, that we can live out the the commands and the, the things that he's
1: called us to do. See, this morning,
0: what we recognize is that there is no life outside of believing in Jesus. There is no life outside of belief in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're skeptical about the resurrection. You have questions and they're unanswered. You you don't know what to think about these things. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you can turn from your self-reliance, from your law-keeping, from your righteousness. Today is the day you can turn from your sinful rebellion against the Lord and you can come to faith in Jesus. I would invite you to come and speak with myself or our elders, Ryan or Brian or Josiah. We would love to talk to you to invite you to faith in Jesus. But the truth is, most of us here believe Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And so for the Christian, we say this, there's there's no life outside of Christ. Don't be deceived to think there's something better than knowing Jesus. I wonder sometimes if we're too familiar with the resurrection. It's a part of our world, like like Kroger or Kleenexes, right? We just are so accommodating or so used to the idea of Jesus' resurrection that we kind of move in and out of the concept at will. That is to say, it's used in a a functional way. When we happen on an instance, when we need to think of the resurrection, we use it. We tend to think of a a resurrection, just to illustrate, we think of the resurrection like a ticket ticket. Perhaps you have a ticket to a basketball game or a ticket to a movie or something else. Well, you don't carry it around on your person for days on end. You only show up with it when it's needed. And our anticipation is that we need the resurrection. Someday when I die and I'm in the presence of God, I'll kind of bring forth my faith in the resurrection, and God will let me into heaven, as it were. He'll give me new life. And first, we want to recognize that this is absolutely true, faith in Jesus and His Conquering of sin and resurrection is necessary for us to be entered into life with Jesus forever. But truthfully, God intended that the resurrection of Jesus be more like a pair of glasses. My glasses, I can use them or not use them, right? I can largely see. Well, you all just lost your faces, but I, I get it, right? I can largely see without them. Have you ever met someone that they can't do anything without glasses? Like They wake up in the morning, they have to grab them off the nightstand and put them on. They have to have their vision corrected to be able to function in the world. See, the resurrection changes our distorted vision so that we see everything clearly again. We aren't to leave home, let alone our bed, without the correction provided by by the resurrection's perspective. The moment that we choose to leave behind this new view of the world that comes through Jesus' resurrection is the moment we are at risk of hurting ourselves or others. We need the resurrection planted at the front of our minds to see all of God's world through the lens of He's making all things new, and it starts with my resurrected life. If you believe that Jesus died, You possess new life with him in his resurrection. This is not the the old life that was marked by spiritual bondage to sin, death in our transgressions and sins, or enslavement to passions. That part of you can be left in the tomb each day. But now, you, Christian, are a new creature. You have everything at your disposal to walk in a new life.
1: There's nothing you're lacking.
0: This morning, we celebrate the resurrection because it's the only means by which we might become something different than what we were. It's the only means that God gives by which we can actually change who we are. It's the only place that we can find hope. Friends, people who Worship with us at GCC, the contingent that came from Greenville Grace, the the friends that are here with us. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things have gone. New things have come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you have given us new life through faith in Jesus. We thank you that now in the heavenly realms, We have an advocate before you, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's how we enter with confidence even now is based upon the blood of your own son, Jesus. Lord, we affirm that death no longer has sting. It no longer has victory because you have taken away sin. You've conquered sin and death in the resurrection of Jesus. And we thank you for it. Pray, Father, this morning, She would allow us who have have faith in Jesus to be those who live in the newness of life that you've given us in Christ. Help us to put off the old patterns and help us to put on a life of submission to Jesus. You might be honored and glorified in us. Pray these things in Jesus'
1: name. Amen.